You have always been my responsibility, brother. The chill in the air entered my words. Stevan, I will fail you no longer. Welcome to League of Lore, a podcast about the lore of League of Legends and other properties set in the Renterran universe. I'm your host Jacob, or Skullhead Soldiers, and let's get into it. Now today we're going to be talking about probably one of the most important clans in the entirety of Piltover, that being Clan Pharos. Now, the reason why Clan Pharos is so important to the lore and the story and the broader vibe, I guess you could say, of Piltover in general, is due to the fact that Clan Pharos is the clan responsible for the creation of Hextech in Piltover. Now, it is unclear if they literally were the ones that came up with the technology of Hextech, but they are the reason Hextech can exist at all, due to them being the ones that found the first Hex Crystals. Specifically, the pure Hex Crystals. Now, where do they find these pure Hex Crystals? I kind of mentioned it uh, a little bit in the last episode on Jace, but to give a bit more on that, what happened was Clan Pharos had a mining operation in Shirima to find probably like precious gems or some other kind of thing. It's unclear the specifics of it. But what turned out, what happened was, they found Sleeping Brackern during their mining operations, and they discovered these really powerful magical crystals with these Sleeping Crystalline Scorpions. That's what the Brackern are. Well, they took these magical crystals, thinking that the Brackern wouldn't mind since they were, like, in hibernation, or maybe even dead. They didn't really know. And so they took these crystals and went back to Piltover and started studying them. Now... The thing is, these hex crystals are literally the souls of the Brackard. Their souls are inside these little crystals. And now they're being used as a power source. Because what it turned out is these hex crystals have an immense amount of magical potential inside them. And so they learned that if you were able to harness this magical potential, then you could give people magic-like abilities through technology, hence the creation of Hextech from these Hex Crystals. Now, it's important to note that pure Hex Crystals, the ones that come from Brackern, are immensely powerful. These are or these are magnitudes of power in these little soul crystals. But they're very, very rare. It's very hard to find true, pure Hex Crystals, even in Piltover. And so, Clan Pharos then became famous for their second big achievement, which was the creation of synthetic hex crystals. Which, in some ways, means they have found a way that they don't need to harvest from the Brackern. That does not stop them from still doing so, because pure hex crystals are way more powerful than synthetic hex crystals are. And so, they just, yeah, they just keep doing that awful stuff. Uh, Very uh, colonialist of them in a lot of ways. I mean, that's kind of the whole thing with Clan Pharos. Clan Pharos is very much 
a um, Runeterra's basically version of like the East India Trading Company from history, or any kind of of the colonial powers during their height. Like they went into a foreign land and literally are stealing resources, very important resources it turns out in this case from the local population in the Brackern. And the Brackern can't do anything about it because they're asleep. They're literally vulnerable and can do nothing to fight back. So they're literally exploiting a vulnerable population. And I find it very interesting that that's kind of the angle that Riot went with Clan Pharaohs. Very much a colonial kind of power. And here's where it gets even even bigger, essentially, with Clan Pharaohs. Because not only do they have these pure hex crystals, not only did they invent the synthetic hex crystals, but Clan Pharaohs has a lot of just power and piltover due to these discoveries and advancements and inventions. And on top of this, we learn through what we learn with Clan Pharaohs how the clan system in piltover kind of works. So, let's pull back a little bit on Clan Pharaohs and get into a broader perspective on the clans in Piltover. Now, the clans in Piltover, as I mentioned during the original Piltover overview episode, are the ruling families, you could say, of Piltover. They're the ones with all the power. And the difference between a clan and a house, and a house and a family, is pretty much like their political, economic, and uh, societal power. So, with uh, the clans, they are the, the top echelons. They're the ones that run the entire city-state, essentially. If a clan says something, it is basically law, unless uh, reprimanded by another clan, and then you can get some inter-clan fighting. Houses, like I said, are a step below that. They're much smaller, but they still have some forms of power. Uh, usually, ha- like House Talus, uh, which is Jace's house, has some of their own power for inventing, uh, transforming uh, tools, essentially, which allows people to basically be able to have multiple tools while only using one tool, which is very, very useful in such a industrial society. So, yeah. And then you have just the regular families, which have virtually no power uh, outside of, like, small power, very, very little power. But the families still have their own thing. Now, the reason why this dynamic is so important to reiterate here between family, house, and clan is clans are so much more powerful than families are, or or even houses, that they have their own unique system uh, internally that keeps things the way they are. They essentially reinforce their own power. And they do this through a simple two, like, essentially a two-party system inside their own clans. They have the head of the clan, the one who runs the day-to-day operations of the clan, the one that directs the clan in a certain direction. Uh, they're basically the CEO of the clan, is the best way of putting it. They're the CEO of that clan. And then you have the Intelligencer. Now, the Intelligencer is essentially the... They're the ones doing all the backroom stuff. They're the ones going around, making sure that if a bad thing is said about their clan, they're the ones that cleans that up. If another uh, noble in uh, in Piltover does something that would make Piltover broadly look bad, then the Intelligencers are the ones that go after them. Because the Intelligencers aren't... They are loyal to their clan, that is a big thing about them, but Intelligencers are also loyal to Piltover broadly. 
Now, why this is important is it leads to this little tension where if the head of the clan is not doing stuff that the intelligencer deems good for the clan and good for Piltover, then the intelligencer might act against them. That's essentially how it works. The intelligencer is really the power behind the clan in a very physical sense. Because clans have a lot of political, economic, and social power, like I said earlier, which is like their soft power. That's the power they have just by existing and exuding it off of themselves, essentially. The intelligencers are the embodiment of their hard power. As in, if you say something that a clan doesn't like, you're going to get a knock from an intelligencer, and you better pray it is not a very certain intelligencer. Because... Each intelligencer like goes about their work a little bit differently, but the broad perspective is intelligencers double as spies and assassins, as well as detectives, essentially. They're investigators. They're investigators, they're assassins, and they're spies, all in one role as the intelligencer. Now, why I bring up intelligencers so much, and why I'm putting so much emphasis, is because we know of one intelligencer, specifically the intelligencer for Clan Pharos, and that is Camille. Now, we're going to get into Camille in a little bit, but before we get into Camille, I want to pull all this back again to, once again, give this bar perspective. Now that we know that you have these heads of the clan, you have this intelligencer, now we start to get a better idea of how the clans maintain power and control in Peltover. They do it through economic means by like controlling the flow of material of materials they're the ones that supply the technologies that they're just doing everything essentially they also have political power because when a clan says goes essentially if the clan if all the clans come together and they say this thing needs to be dealt with it will be dealt with post haste no questions asked it is very much a society ruled by the elite by the rich and by the powerful and there's not a lot you can do about it because they have so much power now before we get into camille and her role as head intelligencer as of clan pharos and her whole story i'm going to take a quick break if you want to help spread the show or simply get more content you can follow the official twitter at league of lore 2 for updates on the podcast and other lore tidbits as well as rate or follow the podcast on your podcatcher of choice. You can also follow my Twitch account, twitch.tv slash goldsoldiers, where I stream myself playing various games and discuss the lore and gameplay of those properties. Uh, right now, my schedule is on Wednesdays, I play Destiny, and in the possible future, I will be expanding that out to where I stream on Saturdays, and that's where I play League. So we'll get into that as time goes on, and schedule stuff works out a little bit better. But that is the plan right now. And I just want to once again say thank you so, so much for the support for the show. Like I said, we reached 10k downloads. That's such a big goal for me. Thank you so, so much. I just, ah, just, that means so, so much to me. I just thank you all very much for every time you guys give me feedback, every time you guys are so excited for the next episode. It just means a lot to me, and I hope I can keep providing this uh, through the future. And with that, let's get back to the show and talk about Camille. Now, to get into Camille, we need to get into Camille's past a bit. Uh, Camille started life as the, the, the head daughter, essentially. She was the eldest of her family, of Clan Pharos. She was the eldest daughter in that clan. 
and she was destined to become the head of the clan. But here's the thing, she she basically realized that she didn't really want to be head of the clan. In fact, she was much more interested in becoming the head intelligencer of the clan. That's what she was more drawn to over time. But Despite this draw to becoming intelligence, something started getting in the way of her general duties as a member of Clan Pharos, and that is she started falling in love. Specifically, she started falling in love with the head artificer of the clan, Hakim. Now, Hakim is a very interesting character in that we don't know a lot about him, but we do know that he was a genius Hextech inventor. To put in perspective, a, a, the head artificer of a clan, at least from what we can gather through the lore tidbits we have on them, they're essentially the the head of a certain, basically the Magitech department. They're the head of the Hextech department. They're the ones that try to come up with new discoveries, new inventions, new ways to use Hextech in the clan. They're the ones responsible for trying to come up with new ways to use Hextech to basically make the clan money and to give them more power. Now, Hakim was a very interesting artificer in the fact that he was a genius. He was finding ways to use Hextech that people have never really thought of. Specifically, he discovered ways to make Hextech into some of the best prosthetics in Piltover. Specifically, not even just prosthetics, but prosthetics that could be weaponized. Now, the reason why this is important is Hextech has oftentimes been used to, like, give people an edge. Like, give them, uh, like, think Vice Gauntlets from League of Legends or Arcane. Like, those are Hextech. Think of that. Like, these enhancements. And he thought, well, what if we just enhance the body directly through Hextech? And that is where this idea started coming from and became this really up-and-coming figure in House Pharos, or in Clan Pharos, and Camille started falling in love with him. Now, as she started falling in love with him, uh, and her role started developing as she started becoming more and more of this head intelligencer, and started passing on the role of the future head of the clan to her brother, uh, she started asking Hakim to do more and more procedures on her to make her a better fit for the intelligencer role. She started getting enhancements to her arms and body so that she was tougher and stronger. She started getting uh, her entire lower body reconfigured. Uh, that is why a Camille has literal sword legs. Like, she literally walks on sword points. Or sometimes people call them knife legs, but really they're giant blades. And she even has, um, I think like a gr grappling hooks in her hips. That she can uh, unspool out and they'll shoot out. So she can fly around like Spider-Man, essentially, but from her hips. And she just started having all these modifications done to her body. A very cyberpunk kind of feel. Um, like, if anyone has watched the new uh, Netflix show, uh, Cyberpunk Edgerunners, like, think about that. Like, think those kind of procedures being done on her, but with Magitech instead of, like, cyberpunk tech. It's very interesting that Camille is this kind of Magitech version of what people think of in Steampunk, of this idea of replacing the flesh with machine, essentially. Like, the longer it goes on, the the less and less flesh and human Camille is, and the more cybernetic and Magitech and Hextech she is. 
until very little of her is organic is even organic anymore she's just mostly has all these hextech augmentations done to her body so she can become the best intelligencer for a claim she can and then that's when things get really just really start hurting hakim starts not really like doing this anymore because he's also falling in love with camille and their little love affair starts getting to the point where Camille begins to worry that it's going to start interfering with her work as head intelligencer of Clan Pharos. And specifically, she worries that her father will have words about it. And she was right. Her father does have words about it and basically t- basically forces her to call off any thoughts of a marriage proposal that she was having with, Cam- with Hakim. She was planning on marrying him and maybe even stopping being the intelligencer of Clan Pharos. All for the sake of love. Unfortunately, though, she decided differently. Instead of going down the path of love and possible happiness, she decided to fully embrace her role as head intelligencer, as head intelligencer of Clan Pharos and ask him to do one last surgery, probably the most severe and the one that changed her the most, which was to replace her biological heart with a Hextech core. Now, why is it so significant? Well, it did more... It was not just a surgery that replaced her literal physical heart. It literally affected her mind. Having her heart replaced with this cold, mechanical Magitech device caused her to start to slow aging. Her aging process slowed down to a near crawl. And so where she is now 80 years old in the current timeline, but she it looks like she's barely 40 to put that in perspective. And she also just just doesn't feel emotions as as what easily anymore. She still can feel them. They're not non-existent necessarily, but they're really tamped down. They're much more controlled and cold. And after this procedure was done, Hakim quit Clan Pharaohs. He couldn't do anymore. He could no longer be the head artificer cuz he just basically stole. He removed and destroyed in his mind. Camille's heart. And Camille was no longer the woman he loved. And Camille knew she was no longer the woman he loved. Because she just made a one two, one change that was too far for even Hakim to look past, essentially. And she even realized like her, her goals shifted. She no longer wanted to be with Hakim. She was going to be this head intelligencer of Clan Ferris till the day she died. And now we get to the time period in modern Piltover. Because this is all far, far in the past. Like I said, she's she's currently 80 in the current timeline of Piltover. All this pl- took place far, far back, probably in her 30s. Which is why the fact she barely looks 40 now says a lot about how much her aging's been slowed down by this Hextech core that has replaced her heart. And now she has all sorts of other crazy abilities too. Like I said, she has the grappling hook hips. She has the sword legs. She also now is, has the ability to create shields around her that block certain types of attacks that she can calculate very, very quickly what kind of shield she needs to block certain attacks and to even create a uh, an imprisoning electrical field around a, a selected target. That's how she's able to become this supreme assassin because she can just fly around the tall buildings of Piltover and then isolate a single target with his electrical field and take them out swiftly and, well, with no mercy, essentially. And what makes it so important is, as she starts existing this new life as 
is head intelligencer of Clan Pharos, some other interesting things start happening with her. Because she starts becoming this kind of legend and myth amongst the regular people in Peltover and even in Zaun. In fact, she starts becoming known as this figure called the Grey Lady. Now, why the Grey Lady is so important? Why is this idea of the Grey Lady so important? Well, it comes down to that basically Camille stops being a person. She starts becoming a fi- a figure, a pure embodiment of, p- of the Piltoven elite. That if you ever try to strike out against the the elite of Piltover, the Grey Lady will come for you. The Grey Lady also becomes this weird, not hopeful kind of thing, but this this, this dichotomy essentially of she is cold and ruthless and will kill you without a second thought, but she also has this elegance and grace and this sense that if you are honest and true with her, then she will treat you honest and true in return. This very much this economy of the honorable assassin is kind of what starts coming down with Camille. But she's still an assassin. That is a very important thing to remember. She's still an assassin. And this is just like what the Piltovans start thinking, especially the uh, the lower class that still live in Piltover and are in Zahn. That's like the main thing. The Grey Lady in Zahn is a very different story. Because anytime uh, Camille has to go down Zahn, something has gone down that the clans things need to be dealt with swiftly and quietly. And even if not quietly, swiftly and brutally. Because uh, we even see in a comic with Camille that a Piltoven noble uh, falls in love with a chem baron in Zahn and seeks to marry him. Well, uh, the, the Piltoven elite are not having this, and especially not Camille. She's not having this. She's not having some dirty lowlifer from Zahn, as she would think of them, uh, rising in station in any way. And so she goes down there and kills him. At the wedding ceremony. Just strip kills him before the ceremony can be completed. And she basically tells the uh, the would-be bride of this chem baron that uh, basically that love is fruitless, essentially, because she also had to give up her own love to be who she is now. Like, she, she's full-on duty to your clan, to your family, to your to everything of that caliber is above any, anything and everything. Love has no place in a society like Piltover. Only duty, honor, and your role is what matters. And that's how she even perceives her duty. She really does believe she's this holy arbiter of the will of Piltover, essentially. She is this protector of what Piltover is, and she will not allow anyone to interfere with this. It is why her um, her dynamic with uh, one of the newer characters in Piltover, Seraphine, is so fascinating. Because some of her interactions make it sound like she is not as severe on Seraphine as she probably could be. But I've also seen readings that she probably would be. It's hard to know. We haven't had any short stories where they interact directly yet. We had to go off of this, like, with champion interactions with Seraphine towards Camille. And it just feels like we just don't know yet. Until we get more interactions, we, we don't know what their true relationship is. My money is that Camille does not like Seraphine at all, but she can't do anything against her because Seraphine is this very popular figure in Peltover. And if something were to happen to her then uh, there would be an uprising on her hands. Like, it would all be bad news. And Camille would rather keep the order 
keep the peace in Piltover than rock the boat in any kind of way like that. That's very much interesting. She's an enforcer of order. Like, above all else. She's that's her, her role as the Hell, the Hell Intelligencer of Clan Pharos. Now, what makes this more interesting is in Camille, one of Camille's short stories, we learn that, uh, well, that Hakim is back, kind of. She learns that um, someone known as Hakim is uh, doing work with the same, uh, with the blueprints that were used to create her Hexac heart. And her brother uh, tasks her with finding the one who is... Uh, who possibly made this blueprint or has these blueprints and who could potentially uh, recreate Hakim's greatest invention in his mind, which is the Hex, the Hex Hex Heart. And the reason her brother wants it so badly is her brother's dying, basically. He's old and frail. He's, he is not in a good shape at all. And he wants to live forever. Because he sees Camille in this state of perpetual youth, essentially. Or not really youth, but you know what I mean. Like... She's perpetually 40, essentially, which, in his eyes, is perpetual youth. Like, she is not going to age anymore. Or at least very, very slowly. And he wants that, too. Well, Camille is decides, okay, I'm going to do what the head of the clan says. But she also thinks that maybe it's Hakim himself. Maybe it's actually Hakim, but she also doesn't believe it could possibly be him. Because it's been so long, Hakim should be dead by now. There's no way this is Hakim. And it turns out she's right. Because she does eventually find the one uh, with these blueprints. And they turn out to be the old blueprints of Hakim. And the one with them is one of his nephews. And he looks a spitting image of his uncle. He he looks just like Hakim. And it takes uh, Camille a whole moment to recognize they're not the same person. And we get this really beautiful moment where Camille becomes human again, essentially, for a brief moment. She begins thinking back on what the life she could have had with Hakim. This life of love and freedom and just joy that she could have had and then gave it all up for her clan. That is the the true thing with Camille. Camille is a tragic character. But she is also a villain. And that is important to understand. She is a tragic villain. She, this is someone that could have been something else. But because of choices she made. And because of actions she took. That she thought were the right actions. Uh, due to pressures from her family. Due to pressures specifically from her father. She felt that being head of Delodrancer was the right thing to do. And so. She tasks Hakim with uh, giving her the blueprints. He does. This, this, this nephew of Akim does. And she burns them. She burns every last one of them. And she basically gives the imp- implicit threat that if, he, that if this nephew of Akim does not come work for Clay and Pharaohs, there will be consequences. And so he... Uh, f- there's a brief altercation uh, with her and a thug um, who... Or not a thug, um, a, a goon is a better way of putting it. Some kind of goon. Um, who turns out to be in the employ of her brother. She figures this out pretty quickly based on their behavior and how she saw them earlier uh, in the short story. And there's a brief fight where we get to see Camille use all her awesome abilities, see her fighting style, and how freaking terrifying and ruthless she is in her uh, her heightened form. 
Because she did fight early in the short story too, uh, but this is her fighting at her the cream of the top. This is her really um, going off on these goons that are, that are trying to uh, kill her and secret away Hakim's nephew so that he can create the Hexac heart for her brother. And it's in that moment that she realizes that her brother is not doing what's best for the clan anymore. He's doing what's best for himself. And she truly does believe the roles that they have in their society and their clans, those are the roles that matter most. And if you break away from those roles in any respect, there's only one solution. And the solution is she goes back home and kills him. She straight up decapitates her brother. And shortly, not even long after that, she then installs one of their cousins as the new head of clan Pharos with the implicit threat that really she's the one in control now. She has taken full control. She has become the purest encapsulation of Intelligencer and head of the clan. Now, she would never admit this because she put the cousin in place to be the true, in her eyes, the head of the clan. But she has now established that she is the only one with the vision, with the ability to see beyond herself, because she's the one that's made all the sacrifices. She's the one that's made all the efforts to make sure Clan Pharaohs and Piltover at large stays the way it is. The status quo is maintained in perpetuity. And that is what she wants to do. And that's basically Camille, this really fascinating villain with this tragic love story in her past, with all these different dynamics she has with her relationship with Clan Pharaohs as a whole and her own internal conflict with her own choices, but the wherewithal and the will to move past that and continue her work as head, intel- head intelligencer of Clan Pharaohs. Now, if she ever shows up in, in Arcane, I would love that. I think she'd be a fantastic villain for Vi and even like Jinx and Caitlyn and all them. Like just for the entire main cast of characters we have to really face off against, I think Camille would be a great threat. But um, there would have to be some retconning because Hextech and Arcane was invented by Jace. It's not been around forever as it is with Camille. So we'll see how that works. That's one of the, like, the many uh, differences between canon and Arcane is the timeline of Hextech's creation is a lot different. In Piltover, it's been around for at least, sounds like 40, 50 years. Maybe a little bit longer. Uh, at the very least, 50 years because that's when the Camille w- was around. And started getting those augmentations. The Hexic has to have been around at least 50 years ago. Uh, unlike in Arcane, where it's a very recent invention. Hexic was basically invented like two years ago. No, like ten years ago. In that timeline. Ten years ago. So, we'll see where things go on that front. But also with Camille's story. Right now, that is where her story really ended. Um, well, it, technically the most recent thing we got with her is her fighting another uh, champion named... Uh... uh <laughs> named Jin, and she basically tried to stop him from doing some work, and uh, he escaped, and we don't know what happened to her after that. It kind of ends in a cliffhanger about what happened to Camille. All we know is that Jin was able to escape her grasp and go on to do stuff in the Zed Shen comics, which we will cover when we get to Ionia. But with all of that said, I hope you all have been enjoying the show, and if you have any questions or thoughts, Please send them in your reviews on your podcatcher of choice or to League of or to Laura from Terra at gmail.com. 
You can also now send them through the Discord channel, League of Lore, on the Robots Radio Network Discord, and they'll be answered next episode. And next episode, we're going to be covering the first half of the dynamic duo that's be- that has become the faces of Piltover. That's right, it is time to talk about the Sheriff of Piltover, Caitlin. See you all next time. When a wasteland detective and a vault girl cross paths, no criminal is safe. You're both under arrest. Don't move a muscle if you know what's good for you. Based in Bethesda's Fallout series, follow Walter and Bunny as they traverse the Texas Commonwealth and New Vegas, busting big crime rings. We'll need all we can to expand into Vegas territory. And surviving anything the wasteland can throw at them. It's him! It's the Mothman! Featuring a series of nail-biting narratives and guest stars from across the Fallout community. It's anybody's guess what thrilling case is up next. War never changes, does it, Bunny? No, it certainly does not. True Vault Escapades, a Fallout audio drama. Available anywhere you get podcasts. Podcasts.